Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. Exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise His name. He is the Lord, forever His truth shall reign. Exalted on high, I will praise him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise his name. New Testament reading, it'll be uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, then we'll go to 5, and then do verses uh, 6 through 11. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that, that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in, uh, in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of, spirit of glory and the God rests on you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you, who called you to his eternal glory is Christ. After you have, after you have suffered a little while will himself um, restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him the power uh, forever and ever. Amen. 
Our gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, the 17th chapter. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And this is the word of God for the people of God. It was the evening of his arrest. Jesus and his core disciples had joined together in a meal, the traditional Seder Passover meal, in an upper room of a house in Jerusalem. Jesus had blessed the bread, and he broken it, and he distributed it among the disciples. He told them that it was his body. And then he had blessed the third cup of wine, the so-called cup of redemption, and told them that they should all drink it as it was his blood. It was his blood that was shed for them and redemption of their sins. And the disciples were confused about this new way of looking at the thousand-year-old symbols of the Passover celebration. He then spoke to them at some length. And then they sang a hymn, and they walked outside the city, and they paused by a particularly impressive grapevine, where Jesus told them to remember that he was the vine, and they were just the branches. He spoke of the Holy Spirit that he would send to them, to lead them into all truth. And he spoke of returning to the Father, and he told them that they should ask the Father in prayer in Jesus' name. Not that he would ask the Father for things on their behalf, but that they should ask the Father directly in my name, Jesus said. And then he began to pray, as our gospel reading tells us. You know, we can learn an awful lot about a person by their prayers, for prayers tell us what's deeply on the minds of the person praying and what's on their hearts. What did Jesus pray that night? the night that he knew would be his last before his arrest and execution, he spoke to God the Father. He called God Father, which at the time was a very intimate way of speaking. Today we think that addressing someone as Father is very formal, 
But in the day, it was very intimate, like we say today, Dad? Later that evening, he would even call God Abba, which is equivalent to our Daddy. Perhaps we should stop referring to the Father and simply, like Jesus, speak of Father. For God is Father of us all. When he looked toward heaven, Jesus prayed. He said, Father, the hour has come. Jesus knew that his time on earth was coming to a close. He asked Father to glorify his Son so that his Son could glorify God. Of course, Jesus was referring to himself when he spoke of the Son, having known from an early age that God was also his earthly Father. Mary would have made sure of that. Jesus mentions in his prayer that Father has given Jesus authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all whom Father had given him. And Jesus defines eternal life as knowing Father, the only true God, and Jesus the Christ, the Savior of the world, who was sent by Father to earth. And Jesus then reminds Father that he has brought glory to Father by finishing the work Jesus was given to do. And now Jesus asked Father to glorify him in Father's presence with the glory he had with Father before the world began. Now there's two important points here. First of all, Jesus speaks repeatedly of glory. Now glory can mean a sort of a glowing cloud like was present occasionally in, in the tabernacle of God in the temple. It overflowed and it chased people out of the tent of the temple, the tent or the temple. And everyone had to leave because of this glowing cloud. This glory represented God's presence. But glory can also mean a great positive renown, a positive remembrance and reputation, a wonderful addition to the reputation that means people will remember Jesus forever. It's like the day we witnessed a man dash into a burning building and pull out a coughing mother and a child to fresh air. The man has received glory for his wonderful action, a glory that will follow him for the rest of his life and beyond. Tales will be told for years and decades and even beyond of how he saved the mother and the child. But that's nothing compared to the glory of Jesus Christ, who gave up his life for all of us. His glory continues to glow in our memories even today. Even though none of us saw him on the cross, we all have a fond memory of his actions at that time because we've all been saved from a horrible afterlife through those actions. Glory is that wonderful memory that stays with us forever, forevermore. Glory was one of the important points, but the second point that's here is that Jesus specifically speaks of his glory that he had with Father before the world began. The Christ is not only immortal, living forever from the day of his birth. The Christ is the eternal Son, present from, time, from before time began and present after the end of time. He is as old as Father, present before the creation of the universe and will be present when the universe ends. Jesus' physical human body may have begun when Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit, but the Christ has always existed and will always exist. 
and his glory will always be with him like it was in the beginning. Jesus, in his prayer, he points out that he's revealed God to those Father gave Jesus out of the world. In plain words, he taught the disciples who God is. For the Jewish people had lost the big picture of God by this time. They remembered vaguely the power of God. They remembered the rules that God had given Moses for their society, but they had forgotten that God has a deep emotional connection, an intimate connection, a two-way connection with us. It's a deep friendship waiting for us to take a hold of. If only we would stop focusing solely on God's power and rules. For people had become like the son of the army colonel, the man, the son who called his father, sir, and colonel, and snapped to attention when his dad walked into the room. We become like people who believe that our military father only cared that we make our beds with hospital corners so tight that we can drop a quarter on it and it will bounce, that our shoes were always shined, that we sit at attention while eating, and that anything less than an A in a class was horrible, terrible failure and risked the loss of our position as the son of the colonel. What we had forgotten was that the colonel remembers us as tiny infants, as toddlers that he had picked up when we fell and cried as young children he had carried into the house, leaning our heads on his shoulder when we fell asleep in the car. We'd forgotten that God loves us and treated him simply as a rigid figure of authority and rules. Many people today still do. We had forgotten that God's rules were not simply to make rules, but God's rules were made because he wanted to protect us and give us a great life. And when we made decisions that took us the wrong way, God wasn't angry so much as his heart was broken because we had not trusted his wisdom and love for us. We had traded in our loving father for a harsh, angry tyrant in our ignorance. And Jesus came to remind us that God is our loving father with a deep emotional connection to his children, to us. Jesus continued to pray that night. He accepted that the disciples had given, were given to him from Father. And he reminded Father that they had obeyed God's word. And now they knew that everything Father had given Jesus came from Father. Jesus was simply a conduit, a passage, a way from which the words of, of Father were passed on to the disciples. And the disciples accepted those words. They now knew for sure that Jesus came from Father and was sent by Father. And so Jesus prayed for them, not for everyone, not for the entire world, but for those Father had given him, which includes us, as Jesus makes very clear later in verse 20. Jesus said to Father, All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me, through them. For those of us who follow Jesus, we bring him more glory. When you do great and good things because of what Jesus has taught you, you bring glory to him. And his reputation grows and grows and expands. And then he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but are still in the world, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. 
Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus was soon going to leave the world, and so he asked for the disciples to be protected by Father's power, the power of his name. He asks that the disciples may be one as we are one, he said. You see, from the beginning, there was never any disagreement between Father and Son. From the beginning, they were in complete agreement about what had to be done and how it should be done. Father and Son were always in tight accord with each other, as they should be, since Father, Son, and Holy Spirit may look differently, but they are made of the same indivisible divine substance. Jesus asked Father to protect the disciples so they would be one, just as Father and Son are one. But Jesus' prayer did not stop there. He continued to pray for the disciples to receive truth and be sanctified by that truth. And Jesus extended his prayer to cover all who believe in Jesus through the message of the disciples that all of us would be one. And Jesus finished his prayer in this way. He said, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And when he'd finished praying, they left the city, they crossed the Kidron Valley, and they entered a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane on the other side. And there Jesus prayed again while his disciples fell asleep, and then he was arrested. Now we know the rest of the story. Jesus was beaten and put on trial and convicted of the crime of claiming to be tight with God and then executed on the cross that Friday afternoon. And he was placed in a tomb which was sealed and guarded. But Sunday morning, Jesus came back to life and began to teach his disciples once again. He kept teaching them over the next 40 days. And then he told them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Holy Spirit to arrive. They ask him, Lord, are you going to, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he basically told them at the time that knowing when Father was going to restore the kingdom, that was far above their pay grade. But he did promise that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And he insisted that they be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here we have the essential function of a disciple and an apostle, to be a witness for Jesus. As modern-day disciples, we are also to be witnesses for Jesus. We're to explain what Jesus taught and what he did. We're especially to explain to people why Jesus' death and resurrection is such good news for people. I pass down what we've learned from our older Christian friends, from our Christian teachers, and especially from the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament, and tell people what Jesus and the Holy Spirit have done for us personally. We're to be witnesses, both of what we've seen and experienced, and of the character and teachings of Jesus. Jesus told the original disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, four different areas. We each have our own areas that correspond to these areas that were given to the disciples. Now, Jerusalem, 
That's the city in which the disciples are based. In our case, that corresponds to Cedar Grove and Davisville and Leechtown and Kanawha, the towns in which we're based. We need to be witnesses to our neighbors in our towns. Even for those of you who live in Ohio, be witnesses to the people in the towns where you live. Judea. Judea was an area just a bit larger than Wood, Wirt, Jackson, Pleasance, and Washington counties combined. The disciples were asked to go throughout Judea, spreading the word, and as modern disciples were asked to go throughout the region, the mid-Ohio Valley. Samaria? Well, Samaria was a region north of Jerusalem that was inhabited by people a bit different from the disciples. Perhaps, perhaps the best way of explaining it is, it's like going to southern West Virginia or north central West Virginia or Columbus. Similar people speaking basically the same language, but yet a bit different. And then there are the ends of the earth where people live who are vastly different from us. We're to speak of Jesus even in Japan and China in Europe, South America, and Africa. The original disciples went to Rome and France and Spain and Turkey and Iran and India and Ethiopia. And later on, disciples went to Ireland and England and Iceland and America. Today, disciples are even now working to spread the good news in Pakistan, like this picture shows. In Japan and China, in Africa and India, even in the Muslim countries of Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Indonesia. Korean missionaries are in many places in Africa today. Chinese Christians are now in Afghanistan. And there are Christians even today quietly spreading the good news of Jesus in Jerusalem to the Jews. If you ever have thought about being a foreign missionary, I can connect you with a couple of organizations. We had good friends when we lived in Atlanta who had gone overseas, served for years, and come back. After Jesus spoke to the disciples about this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Luke, our narrator, tells us the rest of the story. He said they were looking up intently to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. From the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city, that's a couple miles. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and the second Judas, Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You know, much has been made of the need for us to pray, to pray to Father and Jesus, to ask for those things we need, and to turn to Jesus when life is difficult, and we need help accomplishing our goals, We've been told over and over to trust Jesus to handle our lives. And we've all heard this repeatedly. And we who have come to church for a long time, we're pretty good at that. But I want you to notice something very important. 
When Jesus was about to go through the roughest, most important, and difficult part of his life on earth, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for us. He knew he was leaving soon, and so he asked Father to watch over us and protect us. But there's something even more. Jesus returned to heaven. Jesus did not stay on earth. Have you ever wondered why? He could have stayed living on earth to this day, preventing wars, healing people of all sorts of illnesses, continuing to do good among us, but he did not. He returned to Father. Perhaps he returned to heaven because of one simple reason. He knew that like all children, we had to grow up. We know that when children fight, and mom or dad always steps in to break up the fights, the fighting might stop for a moment, but the problems are still there. The children have to learn to stand on their own two feet, to get along with the other. We have to learn how to deal with each other. We have to try and fail and try again, or we will never become strong, mature adults. Life trains us to be strong and wise. And so Jesus returned to heaven because we needed to live our lives from day to day, knowing, knowing that he would be there in the background, ready to step in when we really needed him. But he would not act like the so-called helicopter parents, who are always walking just a step or two behind their kids, fighting their battles for them, making their decisions for them, even when they're in college. Why did he do this? Because just as we are learning to trust him to be there, he trusts us to accomplish his goals. Jesus prayed for us, and Jesus trusts us deeply, for we people are the ones who will do the great things he wants done. Not angels, not spirits, not superheroes. Us people will do what needs to be done. Jesus trusts and depends on us. Jesus had left the disciples to return to Father. And so the disciples were constantly in prayer, seeking answers to what had happened, seeking guidance. It was what Jesus had told the disciples to do and what he trusted the disciples and us to do. And so we should also be in prayer, asking for guidance in what God wants us to do, both in our lives and as a group. And we should go forth in this world with the understanding that Jesus trusts us deeply and has given us tasks to do. And so today I want to do something a little different. I want to ask all of you to join me at the altar today to pray for guidance. How shall we approach the summer? How shall we grow our church? How shall we each grow closer to Father this summer and this fall? Let his trust in us be founded upon solid ground because we have leaned on Jesus and talked with him. Let's be trustworthy and become his witnesses here and in the rest of the world. And let us all thank Jesus for the blood he shed that we might become closer to Father. Thank you.
of United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.